balance male with female. It is important to consider that although the previous journey depicts the life of a woman, Catherine has also lived as men. She has expressed her essence through both male and female bodies. Chapter 6 introduced this essence self, our luminous aspect beyond time and space, which is immortal and indestructible. Essence is beyond concept, including gender. Whether we are a woman or a man, and regardless of our sexual persuasions, our core is undifferentiated and whole. We each are boundless, eternal. At the same time, the dance of polarity such as light and dark, material and spiritual, male and female, weaves the fabric of relative life. This is expressed by the Chinese yin-yang, the East Indian and Tibetan figure eight, and other universal symbols for infinity. Across history and cultures, female and male archetypes are the main props for this life play. This synergy is found in the internal anatomy of the hemispheres of our brain. Tibetan Buddhism and Hindu yogic traditions likewise teach that our energy anatomy includes subtle conduits that channel both female and male forces. In addition to inner spiritual realities, original peoples have, for centuries, also charted the gender characteristics of the outer physical world. A good example is a ring of volcanoes encircling a vortex valley high in the Andean mountains. The male volcano is revered as a transformative force. Shamans shapeshift into his power through fire-blowing practices invoked during curative rituals. Quechua people I've worked with believe this volcanic male is wedded to a snow-faced summit, a woman peak, whose restorative qualities are feminine. Other crest, spring, lake, waterfall, and cave personas form a sacred webwork with the volcanoes of this valley, topped by a mystical apex to the north. Quechua lore says this silent northern ridge is lover to the others, the husband as well as his wife. We can imagine this mistress of the north to symbolize the primal feminine ground through which male and female come together. Given the obvious and inherent interplay of female and male, it is fair to presume that manly ways are not for men alone, and that womanly ways are not for women alone. This is especially visible in original cultures. As a case in point, North American and European women and men are struck by the sculpted bodies of Shuar men. Strenuous navigation of hand-dug canoes on rain-swollen rivers, animal hunts using spears, and the abundant, rigorous activity rainforest living requires makes strong physiques. Westerners see Shuar men as quintessential male, yet their feminine side is also apparent. Attuned to plants, children, animals, the spiritual and living world around them, these men who can kill with their bare hands are tender guides on excursions. I have experienced a similar mix of qualities in the indigenous men in Panama, 
India, Siberia, Guatemala, North America, Tibet, and in the Andes. Equally, as it is common for both sexes in indigenous groups to comfortably display what is viewed as feminine as well as masculine traits, the women I know in shamanic-based cultures are as fierce and forceful as they are nurturing. My shaman woman healer, Anga, in Siberia, was soft-spoken and compassionate, yet her massage was as brutal as it was effective. What I describe as torturous yet expedient bodywork is common in Siberia and Tuva, and shamanikas, female shamans, employ it with great success. As another instance, gentle as they appear, Shuar women are fearless protectors should a wayward poisonous snake or a wild boar find its way into the longhouse. They are also known to growl like panthers at husbands who inadvertently kill more animals than the family requires or cut more trees than their longhouses demand. The woman knows her family nest is interdependent to the larger nest of nature so she subdues the over-industrious provider. This regulating voice, all but lost in modern women and men, is necessary for human survival and reflects clarity about the place of humans in life's circle. Step into the sacred circle. Awareness of place in the larger circle of life is expressed through basic aspects of Aboriginal life, such as how women, men, and children walk. Whether living in Mongolia, the Amazon Basin, high in the Andean peaks, in the Australian outback, or on the plains of the United States, Native people walk softly on their Earth Mother in relationship with everything around them. In this way, they express reverence, connection, and receive the energy of the Earth which is nourishing. John and I teach this walk in seminars, for instance, aimlessly wander and walk like a shuar, and Mick Dodge gives an in-depth instruction in his earth gym trainings. The ball of the preferably bare foot touches the ground first, as opposed to the dominating heel-pounding approach. Through this gentler walk, we are receptive, and any good reflexology practitioner will attest to the benefit of stimulating the thousands of nerve receptors in the feet through barefooting. Natural materials protect the feet in colder climates. Tuvans and Siberian shamans even design yak fur boots with upturned toes to remind them to walk softly upon their mother, the earth. Try barefooting, the soft walk, and not only will you feel great and gain a better outlook on life, you will sense your rightful place on this living planet. Since ancient times, indigenous people have espoused intimacy with the earth for individual and communal well-being. Antiquated wisdom and modern science meet in revolutionary books such as Earthing, which poses that reconnecting with the power and energy of the earth offers significant health benefits for humans. In addition to making us healthy, gaining energy from the earth can also shift us out of an overly material and self-serving focus. As a simplistic illustration, 
For several months, I was finding feathers everywhere. Whether walking in the forest or stepping out of my car in a parking lot, feathers routinely appeared. These delightful gifts renewed my respect and curiosity for the world's winged creatures. Some of the feathers came home with me, and I prayed over those left behind. I took this bit of magic in stride, appreciating the message while not investing in always having to find a feather. Despite this seemingly enlightened attitude, feathers finally beguiled me. One day while hiking, I wanted feathers. Recognizing the folly of this did not deter me. I did find a small, battered owl feather an hour into my hike. Then mile after mile, I found nothing. My distress was shameful. In coming upon a grove of evergreens on a ridge, I gave up on finding feathers and took off my shoes and socks, fluffed up my coat for a pillow, and lay down on the sun-warmed pine needles for a nap. I awoke refreshed and ready to continue hiking. My bare feet felt so good that despite the now chilling weather, I walked barefoot. My soles soaked in the coolness of the mud. Each step was so sensual that I slowed to a crawl in order to savor every moment. I entered a relaxed, hypnotic state. After about 45 minutes, I sensed an invitation to step off the path, yet held back for fear of hurting the fragile alpine terrain. But the urge was so pure, it seemed to come from the land itself. I gingerly stepped onto the alpine grasses. The softness of the natural landscape against my bare soles was ecstatic. How could so simple an act bring such bliss? Recalling my feather desperation, I laughed out loud. I did not need to keep finding feathers. I merely needed to be fully present. Mystery evades us when we try to grasp it. In that moment, I could not want for more. Oneness with the earth is humbling, and it fills us. Inseparable from our gain or benefit from the earth is that we must respect this mother. All original people I know ask permission, show gratitude, and offer back to the natural world. Circles initiated by humans were traditionally enacted with integrity. Relationship to the living world is direct and honoring, whether done by a Siberian shore, wild-crafting mushrooms and pine nuts, or a Tuvan skillfully incising a ram's chest, reaching in with a hand and stopping its beating heart. In the traditional Tuvan sacrifices that I have seen, animals suffer minimally and are prayed over. Every part of plant or animal is used and appreciated. Offerings are made to the being and to the earth. Compare this with picking up fast food and eating it mindlessly in the car, or buying plastic-wrapped slabs of meat labeled chicken, whose feet never touched the earth. Do we honor our circles? Do we complete our relationships? 
Are we awake to our impact on life? Let us renew our relationship to our physical body, the food that sustains us, the children we bring into this world, and to our communities, which include the larger circle of plants and animals we share each breath with. Animals suffer because of all sorts of human addictions, including vanity, food, sport, and human pollution. Prisons overflow, and developed countries consume most of the world's natural resources. Life is begging us to move into higher relationship. To take our proper place in the scheme of sentient life, we bring the masculine and feminine into balance. When we step into the sacred circle, its mystery unfolds. Balance male with female in society. If you are confused about your place in the circular flow of life, explore what feels lost or forgotten. What is missing? What do your heart and body say? You may want to investigate what makes you feel whole and fundamentally good versus what makes you feel fragmented or incomplete. It can help to identify how the masculine and feminine archetypes, however you view these, play out each day. Look at your home and other physical environments, at mealtimes and social interactions, at business transactions and your decision-making methods, and any other daily activity. Ask yourself some fundamental questions. Amidst the busyness, is there space to dream and feel? Is there room to play? Is being of equal value to doing? Are friendships and relationships fulfilling? Is my heart and creativity in my work? Am I connected to and do I protect nature? Is my breath deep and full? How do I regard my home and my body? Do I move in fluid or rigid ways? Do I cultivate and trust intuition? What care do I bring to others? Do the institutions I support and the activities I engage embody feminine principles? Do they nurture people? And honor the earth are the feminine aspects of life alive given those insights and the examples offered throughout this book consider what you desire to shift about yourself and the flow and feel of each day identify actions as well as attitudes consider also what you would like to shift about the institutions and communities you engage Further, what actions can you take to support these changes in yourself, in the environment, and in your community? It is a mistake to sacrifice any moment to frantic modern pace, consumerism, or even global tragedy. Fear and pessimism mount whenever we obsess over the news on television or in the newspapers, yet Fear dulls our instincts about what is true and suppresses the creative powers of imagination. 
Thus, fear can be used as a strategic tool to manipulate the masses. The answer is not to deny the world's pain, but to channel our emotions to generate more goodness. Despite the day's turmoil and busyness, we all need to breathe, eat, rest, and manage the energy of each moment. Grounding in the basic rhythms of the day is a feminine wisdom that keeps us caring and connected as we sail the turbulent seas of change. Then we can dream, act effectively, and inspire others. The well-being of the Earth's and our own future depends on our ability to do this. In compromising the feminine, we have stepped out of the sacred circle of life. Yet many ask, why? Given the success of the women's movement, is the feminine of modern culture ailing? Although the women's movement has empowered women beyond typecast roles, many women still feel measured by male yardsticks. Our men express feeling equally stressed, and we still raise boys to conquer. The poignant line, the girls go to school and the boys go to jail, from the Clint Eastwood movie, Gran Torino, speaks to just one example of such societal gaps, that of low-income urban boys. It is tragic for a woman to sacrifice who she is in order to climb the corporate ladder. Equally awful is a boy who is destined to be a gang member or a workaholic. These losses devastate individuals, and they ruin our communities. The time is ripe to embrace the feminine, and we must revere nature if we are to survive. As one solution, modern initiation rites and vision quests offer healthier models for young adults. Those designed for boys channel inborn warrior instincts to benefit the family, community, and natural environment. A wonderful case and study for bringing this into the mainstream is a colleague who transformed an East Coast boxing gym into an ethnically diverse center for youth at risk. Vincent Santel Farrell helped distressed young men divert potentially violent tendencies through rigorous boxing training. Beyond this, Vincent brought into his curricula counseling services, poetry events, job searches, and cultural outings. Later, in adding shamanism and martial arts, the youth melded physical prowess with mental and spiritual powers, which also honored nature. By blending masculine and feminine strengths, the highly respected program transformed troubled urban boys into integrated young men. Vincent went on to instate similar projects in New Mexico, achieving a 100% success rate, shape-shifting, directionless youth into viable members of society. Two well-known social change movements that likewise integrate the feminine with masculine are Mahora Carter's Green the Ghettos and Jane Goodall's Roots and Shoots programs. Roots and Shoots in 116 countries around the globe, mimics nature's ability to network and create foundations through its root systems, at the same time sending up life shoots against all odds.
with a solid foundation in the earth. Fragile plant shoots can even make their way through brick walls if they have to, in order to reach light. Roots and shoots youth create positive change through diverse projects and bring people together over a common cause. Similarly, Mahora Carter renews the hope of inhabitants of New York City's South Bronx, Carter's childhood home. Green the Ghettos addresses environmental and economic inequality, setting examples for other urban centers through on-the-ground activism. The feminine is a force that must rouse in men as well as women. This will ensure that all of the Earth's children are nurtured. Higher consciousness is about marrying heart with intellect and balancing the woman and man within. In doing so, the eagle and condor will fly together, and we humans will step rightfully into life's sacred circle. Those examples demonstrate concrete measures for mainstreaming more whole expressions of humanity. There are also subtle applications for the deep feminine principles, which can help us heal and become more aware. We explore these next. Cultivate Awareness Of many ways to perceive that are resonant with what we term the deep feminine, John and I learned the following strategy from a Maya teacher when leading a group with the Prophets Conference. The slender man who was our guide exuded a gentle air, and when he spoke, his eyes smiled. In his characteristically affable manner, Mario asked us to walk for 15 minutes amidst the ancient ruins, focusing on the modern aspects of our surroundings, the people, the directional signs, the gates and reconstructed pathways, the sounds of airplanes and other noises such as humans talking, the clothing and watches visitors wore, etc. Then, for the next 15 minutes, we were to stroll while concentrating on the antiquated and natural aspects of the site, the pyramids, the sight and sound of the howler monkeys, the eyes of people, the trees and sky, the mounds of land indicating hidden structures, and so on. The effect was powerful. The concealed world came alive. A dual perception was achieved, which firmly rooted us in the present, yet which sharpened our acuity of the normally undetectable. The practice our insightful friend Mario employed to open seekers to subtle energies at ancient Maya sites can be applied anywhere, even in cities. As challenging as it may seem, anyone can develop simultaneous perception, and urban areas offer an ideal environment for this practice. On your own walk, begin by noting what is contemporary, the people and their clothing, the objects such as cars and streetlights and buildings, the mechanical sounds, etc. Then, on the next 15 minutes of your stroll, shift your attention to the timeless, the antiquated, and the natural. Note the plants and sky, the eyes and emotional quality you sense of those who pass you by, Watch the birds and the squirrels in the trees and listen to their sounds. 
observe the old buildings amidst the modern cityscape, etc. Focus on what propels you back through time and connects you with richer details of the human and natural world, while, for time, ignoring contemporary or surface traits. Even when with a group or inside a building, you can note the obvious, then shift attention to the subtle. In doing so, you will pick up on feelings, energies, and nuances routinely filtered from awareness. This orientation sharpens intuition and grounds us to consciously interact with the world. We open to the spaces in between objects, things, thoughts, and habit, to the many worlds that coexist with our own. In touching the expanded field of energy that comprises our reality, shamans can detect the energy history of locations, the emotional tone of persons or animals passed on, or of the lands and waters, as well as engage the spirits of locations, non-visible helpers, and the elements. Each place, item, person, and environment has an energy we can tap into. Imperceptible from common view, these are readily discerned through shamanic tracking, as in the exercise before. Attuning to the subtleties makes us receptive, so we can participate more fully with life and also understand how the invisible impacts us in our societies. Many life forms exist beyond our own, and every action, emotion, and thought leaves an energetic imprint that we can pick up on and may also be affected by. For these reasons, shamanic peoples enact rituals to impact the energy of those passed on, of land, objects, and turbulent or otherwise significant events. Through spiritual means, they may be guided to draw upon for guidance, enhance the well-being of, or even exercise unseen influences. Highlighting the relevance of the non-visible is the story of a group who visited a shrine containing their teacher's relics. The small group of followers walked directly to the sanctified building soon after arriving at the isolated retreat center, at which time one person with no history of epilepsy had a seizure. Though stunned, the person recovered with no recurrence, and the seizure was considered a fluke. In later visiting this retreat center myself, I was struck by the shrine's spiritual interaction with the surrounding mountain peaks, which created a commanding vortex of energy. That the small entourage walked straight to the relic building indicated that the group was obviously unaware of this. Otherwise, they would have connected first with the land and honored the larger circle of relationships. This would also have helped them acclimate to its energy. I cannot say whether or not this person's seizure was induced by these intensified energies, but it is always wise to enter sacred sites respectfully and with awareness of the larger circle of beings who reside there. Holding deeper attention is all it takes to illumine what is invisible. Then we must properly greet these presences and ask their permission 
in order to understand how to relate to them. The exercise before and those in Chapter 4 offer great ways to do this. Second nature to indigenous people. Even those who are spiritually oriented can miss the subtleties. Yet in doing so, we tap only a fraction of what is happening, not only at sites of power, but in daily life. Heal with the Deep Feminine The journey of Catherine's life, death, and the transmission of her higher purpose is riveting for workshop participants. The wounds and profound wisdom of women across the planet, as well as throughout history, reverberate within each of us, man and woman alike, and the feminine is persecuted to this day. In the journey to Catherine, Catherine cloaked her deeper knowing to avoid peril. There are many methods and reasons to engage the subtle, yet these wisdom ways remain dormant as long as mystery and magic are denied. In retrieving the deep feminine, we arouse innate healing forces that positively impact the visible and unseen worlds. Demonstrating this are the countless miracles I encounter when applying feminine principles such as those practices that are found throughout this book. Not uncommon are physical, psychological, and or spiritual shapeshifts, or for people to arrive at workshops with injuries who later return home to their doctors healed. A recent example is the story of a man who attended a week-long shapeshifting workshop. He practiced techniques he had learned at the workshop, and he had a miraculous experience. His doctor, who had no explanation for the man's rapid recovery from debilitating pain, postponed the surgery scheduled for his condition. Months later, the pain still had not returned. This is just one of many stories. Being physically present at workshops is not required. Of the names placed on the altar in the center of the circle of participants, many benefit just as routinely. Infections and sprains have eased. Intensive care unit patients have stabilized. Addictions and chronic pain has disappeared. And malignant tumors have shapeshifted into benign masses. Some people claim to know the exact moments these shapeshifts occur. They describe with certainty that positive change has occurred, which is later medically confirmed. No one can predict or explain such occurrences, and no one is credited for them. Miracles are part of the natural mystery of our human legacy. We only know that in applying feminine strategies, amazing things can and often do happen. I hear similarly from friends and colleagues. Driven by her love for a sibling, one woman spontaneously produced twice as many stem cells as considered normal for her brother's transplant. Increasing numbers of physicians report abiding by feminine principles. Some strategically employ the body's inborn ability to heal. One such pioneer, an acquaintance now deceased, did so primarily by supporting the body's natural defense through fever. This man lost no patience to a deadly flu that swept through North America in the early 1900s. The deep woman instinct of men and women knows that reality is mutable and that love, 
can shapeshift energy and form. The Tibetan Buddhist practice here is resonant with such perspectives. It helps us become less self-absorbed so we can hold genuine empathy for others and the environment. By embracing each moment unconditionally, we can open to the world's suffering and even to our own pain without resistance. Then, in accessing our deep reserve of goodness, we can extend well-being, compassion, love, and healing to any being or circumstance. Transmute suffering, sending and taking. Tonglen Tibetan Buddhist Meditation In traditional Buddhist teachings, this practice is grounded in a mindfulness awareness discipline. As workshop participants often do not have formal training in meditation, we prepare them with the Breathe Presence in Light and other exercises in Chapter 2 that help us to be present with a relaxed mind. It is important to establish a foundation of awareness before attempting the practice. Transmute Suffering After hearing the description here, if it for any reason does not resonate, trust your impulse not to do it and move on to the next section. It is always good to stretch and shake out tension in your body before settling into any practice. After this, you can sit comfortably in a room or outside space where you will not be disturbed. Take a few deep, refreshing breaths, allowing your body to completely relax. Invite peace and calmness to pervade your mind. If this does not occur, or if you feel agitated, simply breathe with that. Then devote 10 to 15 minutes to the light breathing approach from Chapter 2, which should now be familiar to you. When you feel complete with the practice, bring it to a close as instructed. Then you are ready to begin the Tonglen practice. Yet go through each step thoroughly before enacting the practice. Feel the universal life force. Radiant, primordial light completely fill and surround you. Sense the indestructible quality of this light and its loving intention. Take time to open your heart and immerse in these sensations. This light is you. Make this real. Now, remember a time in your childhood or in the recent past, when you experienced great love and happiness. See this time as clearly as you can. In your mind's eye, look carefully and closely at its details. Where were you? Who were you with? What were the circumstances? Look with curiosity to this time when you experienced great joy and a deep sense of well-being. As you look at the details of this happy and loving time, allow the sensations of love, happiness, and goodness to flood your body. Feel these as if this time were happening for you right now. Make it real. In particular, 
allow the feelings of love, peace, and connection to permeate your heart. As this peaceful and radiantly happy time generates loving feelings in your heart now, allow these feelings to build. Intend for them to grow stronger. As you do this, focus on the feelings exclusively. Allow the details of the situation to fade from view, yet stay with how you feel. Take some time until you feel the love, joy, and well-being as a force that radiates from your heart. These are good feelings that you have generated and strengthened. Feel the peace, love, joy, and connection that pervade your heart. At the same time now, imagine, or see in your mind's eye or sense, someone sitting six feet in front of you who is suffering. Alternately, instead of one other person who is suffering, you can imagine yourself in this place. We all experience pain, fear, and confusion. Or if you envision animals of an endangered species, natural disaster victims, an area on Earth that is environmentally degraded, or a world location where life is filled with anguish. Another option is to imagine in front of you one whom you consider to be an enemy or that you have difficult relations with. Take time to see or sense these people and situations clearly. At the same time, keep feeling the sensations of your radiant and loving heart. As you notice who is in front of you, imagine the energy of suffering gather around this person or situation in a thick mass. Suffering manifests on many levels, physical, emotional and psychological, and spiritual, and in energetic form. You may sense that it is hot in temperature. It may appear heavy and weighted, or it may have a claustrophobic quality. You may even sense this energy is a tarry substance with a specific shape, or see it hang about the person or situation like an ominous cloud or a dense smoke. As you clearly sense or see this, keep coming back to your open and radiant heart. Stay rooted in goodness, healing, and love. Feel compassion for the confusion and suffering of yourself, another, or situation. You may feel sadness and the growing desire to extend kindness and care. On the next inhalation, breathe toward you this thick claustrophobic energy. Lighten suffering by breathing the heavy mass of energy toward you. Open and feel your radiant, loving core and your heart as you do. Remember your loving intention and the indestructible quality of light filling and enveloping you. When the mass touches this light and love that is you, it immediately transmutes into light with no trace or heaviness remaining. Traditional practice of Tonglen 
under the guidance of a Buddhist teacher, instructs the practitioner to bring suffering into her or his body and heart, to transmute it from within the practitioner. On the very next exhalation, expel with your breath goodness, healing, and well-being. Propel the qualities of care, kindness, and love with the out-breath all the way back to whomever or whatever sits in front of you. Sense confusion and pain lifting. Imagine the suffering is lightening and easing. Repeat the last two steps for ten minutes or for a shorter period of time. To close the practice, simply relax the focus and let the visualization completely dissolve. Come back to a normal rhythm of breathing. With regular practice, the steps to transmute suffering become second nature and can be done on the spot. Breathe pain toward you, transmute it, then breathe out loving kindness, relief, and healing. For example, you might apply this at the scene of an accident on a busy street corner or to transmute your own difficult emotions. The more we acknowledge instead of back away from what distresses and pains us, the greater is our ability to transform our own and the suffering of another. The practice of Tonglen helps cultivate empathy and resilience by holding suffering in a non-judgmental state of mind, as my daughter, Sayer Herrick, writes in her third-year college essay entitled Regenerative Breath and Soulful Healing. Sayer continues, The practice strengthens the meditator's capacity for acceptance, non-judgment, and transmutation of suffering. Tonglen practice breaks the ingrained habit of pain avoidance. It is a profound way of using breath and intention to transform suffering and encourage selflessness and compassion. It also positively impacts the object of our compassion, who or what we direct our love and energy to. Closing note to Chapter 7 Through the last century and beyond, dominant cultural mindsets have suppressed feminine values. Earth-honoring ways were pushed aside, and ancestral peoples, their lands, and their wisdom were sacrificed to superficial and material goals. Yet, the deep feminine inspires us now to awaken. In acknowledging the feminine, we can bring our lives and the global climate back into balance. In living in harmony with the earth, revering the mystery and creative forces of life and of our feelings, we step back into the sacred circle. To support a sustainable future in which people live in greater harmony with each other and for the earth to be healthy, we must arouse our deepest longings for life. Let us firstly dream good dreams for humans and for all sentient beings. Then let us act on our heartfelt wishes to ignite the universe's intelligence within and make the world we dream of become real. The concluding chapter, 
shape-shifting into a new world, encourages ways that we can do this.